0: So I just want us to just welcome Tyron, who is a great friend also, to introduce Steve and Adrian, who are part of uh, their uh, eldership team at Redemption City. So let's welcome Tyron to come on up. Thank you so much. What a joy, joy to be with you this evening. Forgive me that I have an accent. I cannot change it. I cannot help it. There's nothing I can do about it. I can try sound like you, but I sound funnier than I sound right now, so I'm going to just carry on with my accent, but I am an American, proud to be an American, well, yeah, amen, there's an amen, one amen, come on, <laughs> and um, my wonderful wife is born and bred American, Californian, so I, what, like the Beach Boys said, wish they all could be Californian, and I probably shouldn't be saying that here, right, but anyway, i got my Californian girl. And uh, we are just so privileged to be in the United States of America again. Um, if, just quickly to let you know, I was born in a place called Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. I was there for six weeks of my life, and my dad was doing mission work, and uh, then we relocated to South Africa, 17 years of my life in South Africa, then relocated to Australia, Adelaide, Australia, and in '89, and spent about seven years there. Then moved to California, that's where I met my wife, and our first son was born there. We were pastoring in a church there, and then moved back to Australia in about 2000, and we were there for about seven or eight years. And about a year and a half ago, we relocated to Colorado. And we are so blessed to live in this great region. To me, honestly, I have the privilege of traveling all over the world all the time. But this has to be God's center spot of just where it's all happening. So it's a real privilege to live here. I hope you still believe this is a great place. I don't know where you're moving to, sir, but you're crazy to be moving. And this God's taking you there, that's all. But uh, also, Stephen Adrian on eldership with us, as, as, um, as Mark said, and it's just a joy to have them with us. They relocated also here from Florida, and they're loving it too. They love being here. We're just privileged, and we're so glad that you guys are just up the road. And just to hang with this couple... Mark and Kara are awesome. They really are an awesome couple. We you know we love the friendship. We've been praying for more relationships like this where it's not hard work. You know you've got some relationships that are real hard work, and we need those, but it's not always we don't always need those. And we're just so grateful for the friendship that is developing uh, just their hearts. Wonderful hearts. They love this church, they love you guys, they rave about you all the time. And uh, just a real privilege just to be able to come and share and minister in your church. For me, that's the ultimate privilege, to share in another person's uh, congregation. And so thank you for having us. It's a real, real, real joy to be here. If you do have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. I recognize that I have one moment here. Uh, I don't always get an invite back, I must confess. And that's okay. I'm all right with that. I'm learning to live with that. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's the accent. I'm just thinking it's the accent, but but it really is just a, a joy to come in. And although we're kind of just up the road, we're certainly in the same region called to do the same thing. And that's what I love. I love partnering with people. I believe God's will is that the church works together, uh, not to build their empires or their kingdoms, which is a tragedy today. Most churches are building their own thing. doing. And again, we're not here to, to speak badly. We're here to say, guys, God has a bigger plan than building our own churches. God has a plan called the kingdom of God. And it's something far greater, far bigger We're a part of it and we do this together and there's some we walk closer to with and we rejoice in that relationship like this. And others we work maybe a little distant from, but we're on the same journey doing the same thing for the king and for the kingdom. And I'm so grateful this evening that we're not gathering in the name of a church. You've got to keep remembering that if we're gathering in the name of the church, there is no power. We might as well just be a social club hanging out on a Saturday night. To be honest, friends, because the church is something powerful, but the, the reason we are powerful is because of the name of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that flippantly. I really do believe God's desire is to bring something of the centrality of His Son back to the purpose and reason the church comes together. The message of Christ, I still believe, is the most important message. America is crying out to hear about Jesus, not the church. They're not crying out to hear about a significant church doing significant things. They are desperate for the only one who can save them, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we gathered in that name this evening. I want to tell you when we gather in His name, there is power, there is authority, there is healing, there is freedom, there is deliverance. All that you and I desire this evening, and it's already been said, comes only through Jesus Christ. And when we lift up the name of Jesus, God says that He will draw all men to Himself. Jesus saves, and Jesus wants to continue to save. And so, we're gathering in this name. I come to rave about Jesus tonight. Not talk about what we're doing, but to rave about Him. And also to bring something of what it is He is saying to His church. This is not Mark's church. This is not Mark and Carrie's church. not our church. You're in partnership with us. You're not our church. The church belongs to Jesus. And Jesus Christ, only, friends, is the head of the church, according to Colossians chapter 1, of which God gave him that position. Uh, you know, people have said to me, and I'm going to preach, I promise, oh, this is preaching, I guess, but I'm going to get to the word in a moment. But I cannot stop. Uh, I have to rave about Jesus, friends. I trust you leave you this evening knowing more about Jesus than the church, knowing more about Jesus than your, than your mission, more about Jesus than your programs. Jesus should get more airplay than anyone else in our conversation as the church. And it's sad that that's not the truth anymore. And uh, I'm just convinced that God exalted Jesus to the highest place, and God gave Jesus the name above every other name. Uh, Some people have said to me, Tyron, you speak too much about Jesus. I'm guilty. And I'm okay with that, because I don't believe God has a problem with it. I just want to say, right now in heaven, there is no competitiveness happening about who's getting spoken of the most. Because God Himself exalted His Son to the highest place, and God gave Him the name above every other name. Right? If God did this, then we should be doing this. Amen? God so loved the world that God gave His only Son, that whoever believes in His Son will have eternal life. That's the redemptive plan. Believe in Christ and you will be saved. Amen, friends. And so for me, God's okay with me raving about His Son. It's the message, if you look through Scripture, right from Genesis to Revelation, which is important right now, the whole of the Old Testament points towards Jesus Christ, and the whole of the New Testament points back to the the death and resurrection of Christ. And so Scripture testifies about Jesus. God exalted Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role, according to Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16, is to magnify Jesus. So when the Holy Spirit's moving, which we want, and even I'm hoping tonight He'll do some wonderful things, but it's not to bring glory or attention to a ministry or a person, but to Jesus. Because that's the Holy Spirit's job, is to exalt the name of Jesus. Are you with me? The early church, oh my goodness. And I'm going to talk a little out of the book of Acts. But let me tell you, the early church understood this. They were taken and beheaded. They were stoned. They were beaten and imprisoned, not for a mission. A mission's not good enough for the church today. We won't stay strong in opposition and in the stuff we're facing in America right now as the church if we're not captivated, not by a mission, by the master of our mission, Jesus Christ. I don't believe the Great Commission was enough for the people to go to the cross or to get beheaded or to be beaten or imprisoned. It wasn't because of a mission. It was because of their captivate. They were Jesus' lovers and followers. And because of their, their relationship with Him, they were willing to die. Early church was captivated by Jesus, friends. The church today in America needs to be captivated by Jesus. This church, Impact Rock, has to fall in love with Jesus and stay in love with Jesus and speak of Jesus and preach of Christ the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Do you know that the Bible and the book of Revelation tells us right now that the angels are worshipping Jesus. Right now. In heaven right now the angels and the elders have fallen on their faces and are worshipping Jesus. Jesus. Now, if you know the Bible, you'll come and say, hey, hang on, tyrant. there are two thrones in heaven. Yes, I agree. But one of them is Jesus. And God, yes, and Jesus. And there is this truth. It says, who is worthy of the scrolls? And it says there, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Who's there? Jesus. So you and I on the same track here this evening. Amen? Jesus is incredibly important. Yet Jesus is probably the least spoken of today. And I believe your future and our future and the church's future requires us to get back to this truth of exalting, preaching, speaking of Jesus Christ. Amen. So Acts chapter 1. And what I'm going to do this evening is, is talk, if I can, into your kind of future. <laughs> if that's Okay. And Mark has the right to stand up here time and tell me that's wrong and tell you that's wrong. And I'm cool with that as well. Please hear that. I come invited. This man is the elder here. He chooses, he's the highest human authority in this church, according to God. Not according to us, according to God. And so they have the right, because they've got to protect you from people who are bad. Now I hope I'm not that person. But I want to say, whatever I have to say, if it's not from the Bible, you better not listen to it. But if it is, then this man has a response. he say, yes, no, maybe so. So I speak as one who is invited. But I also want to say that there is something God's wanting to say to this church again. And is to give you something of a little glimpse of your future again. And a reminder of why God has put you here. You see, I've been blessed to be preaching around the world for many, many years. And I know I don't look old, although I might look old to some of you. I, I'm, I'm a young man. I think I am, hey, Steve, yeah? That's why I hang with guys like Steve, because I always feel, yeah, no, he, I'm kidding. He'll outrun any of you in this room. Let me tell you, he runs marathons, this guy. Anyway, and that was with a blocked, block, uh, anyway, okay, we're getting sidetracked here. But anyway, I've always used to preach this, that we the church have a responsibility. We the church have a contribution to make in our city. Now, I want to say that's, Not entirely true. Because that's half the picture. And I used to preach it like many others and say, well, we've got hospitals, we've got charities, we've got doctors, we've got all this stuff. And the church's role is to line up next to all of them and make some kind of contribution. And while there is some truth to that, that's not the full truth. When I look at Scripture, I realize the church did not have a contribution to make. The church... Had a call and a mandate to change the culture of a city. Now, you might say, gee, that's a radical statement. Friends, it's a statement from the scripture, and I believe it's what God desires of every local church, including Impact Rock, Rock, Impact Rock Church. Rock Impact, Impact Rock. I pray for you lots, I promise. God knows your name, don't worry about that. Thanks, man. And, and so, so I do believe, friends, that if we are just making a contribution, that's pretty good. But it's not the call from God. God's called us to bring change to the culture, bring change to our city. God's called us not to just make a contribution and not just to take care of the poor, that's important, but to bring heaven to earth. To advance a kingdom here that is like no kingdom on this earth. Therefore, when the kingdom of God comes, it has to bring transformation and change and not just a contribution like the hospital, like the doctor, and like the charity. And while we need those, the church is far more radical, far more significant, and far more part of God's plan to bring change here to the city. Are you there? Erie should be different because you are here. Not Bladder. Different. Like very different to when you arrive to this place. Do you know that you are God's gift to the city? Do you know that? You should not apologize like we always feel like so many people hate the church and even the government's against us today and we've got to just kind of apologize for who we are. Let me tell you friend, you are God's gift to this city. The church is God's gift to the city. Because through the church, the agency through which the kingdom comes we should be bringing change to the region around us. God has put you here to bring change. Not this church, the people, because that's the church. Every one of you in this room. Anything less is not what God's called us to. Isn't that awesome? Acts chapter 1, in verse 1, it says, In my former book Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. Now let me just say, friends, Luke's writing here, and he says this, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to His disciples. Now, I believe that Jesus Christ finished everything that Jesus Christ needed to do. There's nothing more that Jesus needed to do before he was taken up to heaven. In actual fact, the Bible tells us in the Gospels that when Jesus was crucified on that cross, he shouted out the words Tetalesta, it is finished. Never to be done again, never needed to be done again. Past, present, and future, the sin of man forgiven forever. Finish. Never to be done again. So I don't believe anything else needs to be done for the salvation to be working. You there. What I do believe though is Jesus began, as we just read, began to do and teach till He was taken up to heaven, which I believe then He's left for the church to continue to do and teach what Jesus did and taught. There. He did it. He began to teach and began to do, and then he was taken to heaven, and that's when he said to his disciples, Now go and do what I've done. So many of the, the church today seems a little bit lost, like, What should we be doing? And is it about this? And is it about that? Well, this is what it's about. Do and teach what Jesus did. That's all we're called to do. You want to bring change to your city? Do and teach. Not just teach. Do what Jesus did. Teach what Jesus taught and we will see the change God wants to bring to our great nation of the United States. Amen. It says after his suffering, verse three, he showed himself to these men and gave many com- convincing proofs that he was alive. I believe the call of the church today is first and foremost to get out amongst the world and convince and prove to this world that Jesus is alive. That's the call. Jesus was raised from the dead and He went about convincing and proving to the people that He was alive. How many of you know that's what we're called to do? There is so much focus today. Now please hear me, friends. And please hear what I am saying, not what I'm not saying. But there's so much focus today on Jesus on the cross. When maybe when you and I think about Jesus, most of us, the church, would think of Jesus on the cross. And while we must celebrate that, Jesus is not on the cross. And the world will hear about Jesus on the cross. He's not on a cross. He's not in the grave. He is alive and well. And it's that... My friends, the church is called to prove to the city and to the nations. We are called to get amongst these people and prove and convince the world that Jesus is alive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul addresses this and he says something like, If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile. And our message is useless. Your sins are not forgiven if He went to the cross and never was raised from the dead. Yet we talk so much about His death, I believe we are to prove His alive and His resurrection. Are you there? And I believe part of our call, friends, and just just hear me out, is to take sinners to the cross, but take believers through the cross into the finished work Of what Jesus has accomplished. You can't serve Jesus fully. And walk in an inheritance and bring change to a city. If you're staying at the foot of the cross. Now, Now hear me guys. Because this is probably different to what most people are hearing today. But I want to say from scripture. We can't stay at the foot. We've got to take the entrance point into this thing. And begin to walk in the fullness of what Jesus finished on the cross. Which is resurrected life. We can't concentrate always on death. The Bible says He has a trustworthy saying, we died with Him in order that we may live with Him. Many are saying, well, we died ourselves, we died. Our, yes, now move to life. Convincing and proving that He is alive. It says, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. What did He speak about? The kingdom of God. Now Jesus spoke about the kingdom before His death. When He died and was raised from the dead, He had 40 days here on earth and the same message was preached, the kingdom of God. He was consistent to the kingdom of God. Now friends, that's our job. is to convince and prove to people Jesus is alive. Secondly, it's to preach the kingdom of God, not the church. Thirdly, it says in verse 8, because I'm taking too long here. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. In other words... Our job is to convince and prove to people that Jesus is alive. We're to preach the kingdom of God. We are to walk in power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, friends, the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra for those who are really wanting something. I'm just being honest. I recognize if you've been a believer for a while, you would know there is so much hocus pocus out there claiming to be Holy Spirit. We've seen it, we've sniffed it, we've smelt it, we've walked in it, and we don't like it because it's not the authentic. But what that has caused many believers today to do is to cut off and say, I'll serve God, I'll follow Him, but this Holy Spirit stuff, not interested. Why? Because we've seen the rubbish. Give me the real or give me nothing. And most people are saying, well, we don't want nothing. We want the real, but we see no real, so we're just having nothing. Jesus said to His disciples, you can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Wait for Him. Because if you, He has the feel We can make a contribution in the city without the Holy Spirit. You just, Those of you who earn good money, give us your checks. We'll give it to the poor. We'll feed the poor. And please hear me, those are all important. That's the call of the church, but it's not going to bring change to the city. We don't need the Holy Spirit if we're just making a contribution. Hospitals don't need the Holy Spirit. Charities don't need the Holy Spirit. The government doesn't need the Holy Spirit. But the church, to bring change, has to walk in power. It's not optional extra, guys. This church will never impact the city if you're not walking in power. True, authentic power. And Jesus said, you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes. How do you convince the world that Jesus is alive if you're not walking in power? It's a message. No, it's not. It's a demonstration of His power. He demonstrated to people He was alive. Not get someone to tell someone. Are you there? But here's the thing, this power. And there's so many churches now say, Oh, we want power, we want power. And we have Holy Spirit meetings. And and while that's important and fun, that's not why we have power. We want another Holy Spirit meeting. Really? What for? You're all believers anyway. Oh, well, we like to feel good. Great. So it's about us. No, it's about something far greater. Power for what? To witness. Are you there, friends? I'm probably not getting back here. Are you not going to have me back. You see why people don't want me back, right? But friends, this is biblical. Let's get the church back on track. I know you believe this. This isn't a good idea. This isn't some guy who's got a hunger for, for, for the supernatural, so he's forcing us. It's God's intention for the church to walk in power all the time. It's not an optional extra for luxury Christians. It's for every believer to understand. Power to witness where Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. You know what that tells me? Everywhere all the time. I want to talk a little about your Jerusalem this evening. And not go to Jerusalem, alright? This is your place where you live and work. This is where hand handpicked you to be here. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Paul says he's in Athens and he realizes, gee, these guys are pretty religious. He walks around being Paul and he sees all these statues and idols, and he realizes these guys are religious. And so he goes to address them and he says this: He says, I-, "I can see you guys are religious. I mean, they think that's a compliment, friends. I hope you're not religious here." <laughs> You know, we're not religious. The church has been tagged religion, They're religious. That's wrong tagging. That's probably what most of the church is. But we're not called to be religious. Do you know that Jesus offended the religious people more than anyone else? Sinners loved Him. Religious hated Him. And he, they flared up and were angry because they knew Scripture, they knew law. They were Pharisees and they were full of religion. Jesus broke religion by relationship with Him And with His Father. That's what kills all religion. It's not duty and law. It's relationship. When you work with God with your relationship, that's when you're not religious. I heard it put like this. religion's what's left behind when God has moved on. I think the church, I'm just being straight up, the church is living what was rather than what is and what is to come. Because we've stopped and are living in what was. I don't want to be left behind. I want to keep moving. And this church has been called to move where God's moving and not become religious. Are you with me, friends? A couple of amens this cool right now. I'm telling you, friends, this world, this city, Erie, does not need another religious person. They need people who are captivated and empowered by God and are Jesus followers and speakers of Jesus more than they speak of the church. Are you there? Now I want to tell you this. I'm preaching this to you and I've got the elders in the church that work with me. I preach this in the church almost every Sunday I'm home because I'm convinced this is not a message for other churches. This is the message for their church, including the church we've just planted. Now some people don't like it, but God loves it because God wants the church to come alive and walk in His power. Are you there, friends? So, so Paul addresses these guys. He says, I can see you religious. You even got a statue that says to an unknown God. (laughs) And then he begins to talk about God. And he says that this God is an incredible God. God, and And then in verse 26 he says this, that God, this God, has determined the exact places and times where we should live. Do you know God's determined the place and time where you live? How many believe God's sovereign? How many believe He's sovereign all the time? Even when it doesn't suit us. Which is one of these ones. God's determined the place and time where you live. Not you, not your boss, not your parents, not your job relocation. Not, unless you're running away from God this evening, then you can claim this promise for you. God's determined you to be here time and place. Isn't that awesome? That means you look at Erie differently. You go to the bar differently. You go to the store differently. You come to the meetings differently. Handpicked from heaven for such a time as this. Wow. But he goes on and says, God did this. God put you here, time and place, because God's a God of purpose. In verse 27, oh, I think it is. You got it up there? You get it? God did this. There you go. See That man would seek Him, perhaps reach out and find Him, though He not far from each one of us. In other words, what He's saying is, God has determined the place and time where you live. This couple has not determined place and time. God in them, with you, determined place and time. And you need to hear that, because you're not running with their dream. Man's dream will end all the time, and it's always in flesh and ends up killing. God's dream is alive and well. Spirit birth, and it's... God determined the place... Eerie, Erie, Erie, The time... 2011, 10, 9. When did you plant 10? Now still, not one day, today. Time and place where all of you will be. And it says He did this, that men would seek Him. Not seek you, seek Him. Reach out and find Him, though He not far from each one of us. God has put you here, handpicked from heaven, to be a blessing and to reach people that they may find Him. Paul understood this. Paul had a heart for cities. Let me tell you, there are many giants in Scripture who had a heart for cities. I was reading again this afternoon, Genesis 18, a man called Abraham. How many of you know the story of Abraham? Have you heard some of Abraham's story? Well, Abraham also had a heart for cities. And in Genesis 18, God says this, I'm going to take out Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to wipe out that city because of its unholy and unrighteousness. I'm going to take them out. And God decides to include Abraham in his decision. You know what Abraham does? He doesn't say like many of us, wipe them out. Yes, take out our city. It's such an evil place. I wish you would wipe them out. He hears what God says and He says, surely not God. Surely not God. Surely, if I can find 50 righteous people, 50 righteous people, then surely God, you'll not take out that city. You know what God says? Okay, 50. Abraham walks away, thinking, now hang on, <laughs> this is Sodom and Gomorrah, God. 40. Lord says, alright, 40. I mean, what's he doing? He's not playing a game yet. It's a man crying out for a city, saying, surely not, Lord. I wonder, have we done that in Erie? Not in our prayer meetings. Do we live with that heart of, give us the city. He walks away, says, alright, oh, not 40. Lord, this is, this is Sodom and Gomorrah. 30. He takes it from 50 to 10. Is that right? 10. Crying out, saying, surely not. And the Lord says, if you can find 10 righteous men, I will hold off. And they never did. It's so a man, who had a heart for a city, friends. Don't say, well, to heck with that city. I'm not interested. Wipe them out. It's, Lord, I cry out for that city. Paul had a heart for cities. It says in Acts 17, verse 6, He grieved when He saw the religious spirit in that that city of Athens. He grieved. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, over a city, friends. Jonah. (laughs) well, Let's not talk about Jonah. But anyway, God wanted Jonah to go and prophesy in the city. Jonah didn't want to go. Eventually, Jonah goes. God didn't change. Jonah had to. Just so you know, stop running from God. God's not going to change. You're going to change. The same call comes back in chapter 3. The same call as chapter 1. And he goes and he prophesies. And the whole city repents. And God holds back from releasing what he said he was going to release. A man who said, I'll oh, go. God's heart for the city. About Nehemiah. Probably one of the books that has changed my life the most. man called Nehemiah. You know the story, friends nehemiah was a cupbearer to a king of another place he wasn't even part of israel or part of jerusalem but his friends came and he asked them interesting he asked his friends or his brothers two questions how is the people how are the people and how's the place interesting i don't believe you'll ever reach the people if you don't love the place See, I'm a foreigner. I recognize my accent doesn't help me. I understand. But let me tell you, I love this region and I love the United States. And I don't believe I can reach the United States if I don't love the place. You and I better start speaking well of this place. Because if you don't love the place, you'll never reach the people. Some people have said, well, I love the people, but I hate the place. You better find a place you love. Because you'll never reach people if you hate the place. Other people say, we love the place, we hate the people. Well, you're in serious trouble because this kingdom is about people, not a place. Amen? I don't know how anyone can hate Colorado. You know, friends, just get in an airplane and fly anywhere, anywhere, north, south, east, away. And when you land there, you'll say, gee, Colorado's awesome. Uh, Anyway, okay. So love the people, (laughs) love the place. But he asked these questions, how the people, how the place. And their brother said, the place, the, the walls have been broken down and the gates are in ruins. And You know what he does? He doesn't say, oh well that's good luck to them. I'm sure God will hook it up one day. I've got a job to do. I'm a cupbearer to this king. You know what he does? He weeps. He mourns. He grieves. And he says, I will go and fix it. And it says in 52 days they rebuilt the walls because he had a heart for the city and there was disgrace to the people and it grieved him to say let's fix it. Now friends I hope you're convinced it's a vision from God to say we need a heart for our city. And it's not a heart it's God's heart. You can't say God give me a heart for the city because you already have some heart for the city it might be good or bad but we're going to say give us your heart for this place. And when he does it'll crush us but we will reach out and touch people. Are you with me, friends? Now, failure to win cities is failure to reach nations. It's a great commission it's going to all the nations and preach the good news. But if you don't reach your city, you're never going to reach the nation. You've got to have a city vision. I know that's on the heart of God. For this church and these leaders have that vision. Do you have that vision? Because it requires all of God's people you with me? So now I'm going to just kind of give a couple of thoughts, points. Points, thoughts. They're not thoughts. Don't go think about this. This is Scripture. God doesn't want you to think about Scripture. When God speaks, God wants a response. Let's not go think about it. So I don't believe there are any formulas to anything, especially in the kingdom. Please let me tell you that. If I can come with some kingdom formulas, it's no longer God's kingdom. See, God's kingdom is uncontainable, unstoppable, un-whatever else. It's bigger, it's bigger. And God wants to mess up some of our small thinking so He can release more of His power and His glory. And so I'm not coming with some concepts or some thought. This is something of what I believe will be helpful for us if we're serious about bringing change to our city. And the first thing, and they're not in any order, is this. We need to be a people of promise. The people of promise. I don't know if you've heard this before, if it's been spoken of this church, but let me speak it. Isaiah 58, verse 11 and 12. And it's a word God gave Nicole and I when we relocated here. But I feel it's for you as I've been praying for this church. And let me just read it to you quickly. It says this in Isaiah 58, verse 11 and 12. Now we know the context is about true fasting and all that. Don't worry, I'm not talking about fasting. Uh, relax. God doesn't say you better start fasting. Relax, right, Mark? We're going to go have some dinner after this, right? But it it says this. Let me read this over you. It says this in verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. And He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. And you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And that's incredible. Because what that is saying is God wants to guide you. We talked about religion earlier. If God's guiding you, you cannot be religious. There's life, there's freedom, there's joy That when God takes you. He says you will be like this wonderful, well-watered God. You won't be a well-watered. You'll be like one whose waters never fail. How many of you know that's important? Gee, you want to be that. But God wants you to be that, not for you. Because He goes on and says in verse 12, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old age foundations. And you will be called... Repairer of broken walls, Restorer of streets with dwellings. Hello. Well, that's a great word, Ty. I think it is. It's what we came here for. God says, you will be called. Now, let me tell you, if you're going to be called that, you have to be that. What? Repairer of broken walls, Restorer of streets with dwellings. Eerie. And beyond. May I just suggest, it's not just Erie. It's Westminster too. You guys have an inheritance there. From here, you're gonna reach those people. And beyond. And so God has called you, God has put you there. And there's this wonderful promise. And you know, friends, if we're gonna be a people who bring impact and change to your city, we have to be a people of promise. There is no greater promise than Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done. It's the message that needs to be shouted from the rooftops of this congregation. Not come to my church, let me tell you about Jesus. Today the world's not looking for a good church, with all due respect. There are a lot of good churches, but they're not necessarily preaching the right thing. You know, there's this, George, someone barn in 50 years ago he was interviewed on the radio and he said something like this. He said, if God was to give a city to the devil, what would that city look like? Many of you say, well, it would look just like this city here. Others would say, well, it would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. There would be pornography everywhere. There would be people hating each other. There would be backstabbing, cheating each other and all this. And Maybe there's some truth to that, but he had a different side. He said, let me tell you what would happen. If God gave a city, and He used Philadelphia as an example, He said, God gave Philadelphia to the devil, this is how it would look. People would honor each other. They would respect each other. they would not be pornography and all this stuff. And then He said the most amazing thing. He said, the church will be full every Sunday. Or well, Saturday night. But the church where Jesus is not preached. Because the devil doesn't have to fear the church. He fears one and only one, Jesus Christ. Jesus took him out, not the church. Yet we don't talk about the one who took him out. The devil has nothing to fear. May this church shout from the rooftop consistently the finished work of Christ. That's what will bring change to your city. Not good message, Christ. Jesus is the way unapologetic and we are not a politically correct people the church needs to wake up we are bringing a different kingdom which is never going to fit politically into any city or nation are you there now I'm not saying let's start a revolt let's get back to God's truth unapologetic so what if you get locked up those days are coming friends like it or not they're coming captivated by Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, I can have a conversation with just about anyone in America. And when I get on airplanes, I talk to people. And the moment they find out I'm a pastor, they don't want to hear about it. They shut off. But that's okay. But we can talk about God and everybody's happy. But then we talk about Jesus and you watch tempers flare. Why? Because God, higher power, Allah, we're all good. Jesus, he's the rock of events. And you Christians are so small-minded. Why? Because you say there's only one way. What kind of people are you? I mean, that's just bizarre. Really? I keep asking this question. If I wanted this guy to come to my house, how many of you think it would be wrong for me, unfair, small-minded, to say you want to come to my house, here's my address, and here's how to get there. He asked me to come minister here. I said, okay, how do I get to where this place is? He gave me the address. It would be unfair for him to say, find it yourself. Are you with me? (laughs) Work it out. Pray. Are you with me? I'm not prophetic. I won't find this place. He had to tell me. It's not unfair. Unfair is to say, good luck, come to my house. I want you there, but you find out the address and you find out how to get there. See, God Himself said, I want you to come to my house. And I'm telling you how to get there. This is how. This is my address. And this is how to get there. He gave us the way to His house. Yet most people say that's small minded. Friends, it's small minded to think, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. And find out one day you didn't. You there? The world needs to hear the way. The truth. The life. Without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing, friend. And without the life, there's no living. And Christianity is not a teaching. It's a life. Jesus said, "I've come that you might have life, and life to the." F-. He has the Son has life, so this is not a teaching we hold to. This is a life we live, called the Christian living. Amen. Are you with me? And so let me quickly move. Okay, Are you right? Okay, cool. You happy? My friend. Oh yeah. Careful. I'm gonna. Don't tell me that. I'm gonna. Know. Let me just say one more thing about Jesus, and we'll move. Okay. I didn't say this, I I read this. And I'm speaking as an American. Of Jesus, they said the Jews tried to contain Him in their law. The Greeks sought to turn Him into a philosophy. The Romans made an empire out of Him. Europeans have reduced Him to a culture. And America has made a business out of Jesus. I didn't say that. But there's some truth. But he's neither, none of those things. He's the king. He's the way. He's the truth. And Erie he needs to hear that loud and clear again. Alright? The second thing, not only the old people of promise, but this thing of purpose. I'm not going to stay here. I'm just going to say this. I don't believe the church is the kingdom. I believe for too long we've preached the church as the kingdom and therefore ultimately this kingdom is about the king being the pastor. If we preach the church as the kingdom then the king is the pastor. And the church ends. According to scripture the kingdom does not end. So here's what I believe. The church is in the kingdom. And the kingdom is in the church, but the church is not the kingdom. So we've got to stop preaching the church and start preaching the kingdom. We are the agency through which the kingdom comes, but we're not the kingdom. It's far bigger than this. And I think most people out there would think the church is the kingdom. That's why they're fed up, because they've seen all the flesh and man falling and taking the glory we need to get back to pointed people to the king and the kingdom and being part of something that is unshakable, unstoppable, and far bigger than what we see here on Saturday nights. See, I was in, in Germany a few years back. How many have been to Germany? Are there any Germans in that room? Okay, one, two. Okay, <laughs> Forgive me for what I'm about to say. However, I love Germany and I get together. We've got a lot of churches partnering and working with us. But when I went to Germany to minister, it was the Euro Cup. Right, which is a big soccer deal, and football, there's football, our soccer. And uh, Germany was playing. And I had, you know, when you're in Germany, you do what the Germans tell you to do. Right? So I had to go and watch this game. And to be honest, it was not my team. It was, I was jet-lagged, if you know what that means. You travel, you know, I was tired, it was raining, it was cold. I had many meetings, I had to preach at, but I had to go to this game. But it wasn't a live game because it was played somewhere else. But what they do in Germany is when, you, when the World Cup is on or Euro Cup, they, they, they get all the cities, the cities all gather together and they have these huge screens. I mean, these screens are, I can't tell you, maybe five, six times as big as these walls. High up, this huge screen in each city and everybody gathers around to watch this Euro Cup. And so I went to this reluctantly, but I had to go. So when I was there, I to, it was the most boring game I've ever watched because fortunately Germany won 1-0, right, which... Help me the next day. I wouldn't have to raise the dead if they didn't win. But anyway, fortunately they did. But I watched war. I watched the people. And it was amazing to me to see guys with Mohicans and tattoos and young and old guys in their business suits all hanging together and shouting at a screen, which no one could hear anyway. But they were shouting for their team. But came the halftime, they turned the TV off. And everybody left. And as soon as the halftime was over, they put the screen back on and everybody came running back. And I realized that day, listen friends, that nobody came to see the halftime. And you say, gee, that's pretty obvious. Really. I felt the Lord challenge me and say, we've made the church the halftime. We've made this the game. Sorry. And so what we realized is that a halftime is incredibly important for the players, but it's not for the spectators. Now we know that at halftime, the players go into the clubhouses or whatever it is, and the, the, the coach tells them how to be more effective on the field, but then they go out and they play the game. And what we in the church have done is made this, which I think this personally is the halftime. This is incredibly important where God strategizes and positions us and shows us and reveals and demonstrates that we go from here and we be the church rather than bring people here and think in an hour and a half on a Saturday night we're going to turn our city upside down. Never. This is the event. What's out there is the lifestyle. The purpose. And so we try and get people, we think people are going to knock down our doors, come running into our change room and clubhouse to hear how to strategize, rather than see this thing played out where they are at. So the purpose of God is we get out there and we show this world who Jesus is. And yes, we invite them, and yes, we bring, and we can't miss these meetings, guys, because they help us strategize and find out in God how to play, be encouraged, strengthened, but this is not the game this is the half time to go what happens here leaves here it doesn't stay here are you there? the third thing I'm landing if we're going to reach this city it's not going to just be promises it's not going to just be purpose it's going to be this power and presence friends I do believe the church has to rediscover its radical edge And it's not playing with the world's toys and using them differently. It's walking in power. True power that comes only from heaven. Rediscovering for powerful witnessing, powerful signs and wonders. Friends, if it's in there, it should be in our lives. It's not limited to the early church. God says you can't have this message without this power. And like I said earlier, we've all seen the weird stuff. But what about the true, authentic, God wants to show His power to the world. Yeah, we've got three amazing sons. Joel, Joshua, and Jude. And Jude is our youngest, and we believe our last. Contrary to some of my prophetic friends who are prophesying daughters. We don't want daughters. I'm happy with sons, alright? And three is more than enough, alright? And so Jude, our youngest, we thought, okay, first birthday, he's now five. But his first birthday, we thought, this is our last baby and child. and Let's really bless him for his birthday. So we got him this great gift and we wrapped it up. And his first birthday, we gave Jude his gift. And you know what? His brothers helped him and they unpacked it and unwrapped it. But Jude didn't care about the gift. He was so enamored by the wrapping paper. We wasted our money. Listen, if you've got a one-year-old, just buy them reams of wrapping paper and they will be so happy. So we bought it and we, we were like, what did we buy him a gift for? So the next year, just downscale a little. But I as a dad wanted to see how my boy would respond. And so we wrapped up his gift, and now he's two. And this time he went to a re- open, and he loved the gift. And I as a father thought, my son, I'm proud. He's become a man, although he's only two. But he's matured from the year ago. Are you with me? Because it's immaturity to want the wrapping paper and not the gift. Now, why am I saying that? Because the church is so immature today. We are so enamored by wrapping paper. And this is how God has to come. And people are running after gold dust. And and friends, if God wants to bring gold dust, bring it. I've seen it. I'm all over it. But I'm not looking for it. Oh, feathers from heaven. Oh, friends, seriously. Whatever. Serious. Others say you have to speak in tongues. Tongues of fire. I'm not mocking. I'm just saying you're so, and I are so immature, running after wrapping paper that we miss the gift all the time. I don't know about you, but I don't want to... I'm not fussed about wrapping paper. I just want to know the gift is here. Please don't miss the gift by being caught up in the wrapping paper. I believe this church is going to see some incredible demonstration. I really do. I believe God wants to show Himself in this place and from this place. But you're going to have to be open to the gift, not worry about how it manifests. You know, God can do whatever He wants to do. He can do something right here, right now, without you falling over forward, back, shaking, rattling and rolling. And if you've got to do that and he wants to do that, go for it. But that's not necessarily proof God's here. The change in your life is proof God came. And that's what we long for is change. Do you know it's abnormal? Not to have a heart for the supernatural. We make out like you are abnormal if you want more of God's power. You are, you're crazy if you don't. We're not the weird ones, you are. Why? Because God's put it in us to want something of that supernatural power because that's what we're created for. Not the weird stuff, the true, authentic. And that world wants to see presence and power. Not talk about it, demonstrate it. People, our heart can't just be oh it's after God it's after people Jesus isn't coming back for this building he's not coming back for any of these instruments although they are important he's coming back for only people yet people is what most people don't want yet the church has to be full of people and let me tell you the worst of the worst people to this church like ours if we're going to reach these people and bring impact to the city, we're going to have to love the unlovables. In other words, love the people no one else can love. In actual fact, love the people you and I can't love in our own natural state. It's got to be a supernatural love. I don't like to fish, but I have friends who fish, because fishing to me is quite boring. Forgive me. I just don't catch fish, so that's probably why. But if you are a fisher person, PC right now. <laughs> they tell me that if you use certain bait to catch certain fish, right? And then you put this bait on your hook and you throw out your fishing pole and you catch fish. Well, that's great. But let me tell you about the kingdom. It has nothing to do with fishing poles. Jesus said this kingdom is like Matthew 13 when you take a net. You don't use a pole, and you don't use bait to attract certain kind of fish. A net catches all kinds of fish. How many of you know fish that you don't want? But you catch them. Jesus said the kingdom is like a net. Friends, I'm telling you, God's given this church a net, and you've got to keep throwing that net. And let me tell you, you're going to catch fish you don't want. But He wants you to catch them. And then it says that there will be a separation between the good fish and the bad fish. Who will do that? The angel at the end of the age. Now let me ask you, who are the angels in this room? None of you. Then you don't have the right to throw out and keep. (laughs) I'm just saying, oh, we want to bring change to our city. Oh God, bring the lost. Well, let me tell you, the lost are going to come. Broken. See, the problem with broken people they arrive broken. Homosexuals. Pedophiles. How can you say that? Because they need God. Prostitutes. What if they can't come to the church? Where can they go? Now friends, you've got to put things in place and be wise, but I want to say this. The world is getting worse. The church has to reach those people. That's why God's put you here. Oh, we can send checks, love them, no, embrace them, and watch them change. Last thing I want to say: I read Mark six. I preached on this in our church last Sunday, in Mark, Mark, Mark chapter six. You know the story well, I'm sure. It's probably one of the most well told stories in scripture it's when Jesus feeds the 5,000 but if you understand the context of that story and it wasn't a parable it happened you will realize it was the most inconvenient time for this to happen it says in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus uh, John the baptizer had been beheaded John was one of Jesus' close friends Right? And John was killed because of Jesus. How many of you know Jesus must have felt pretty bad by that? Oh, well, he was God. Yeah, but he was also man. He felt things. He had pain. And I believe he was weak, broken of the fact his friend John had been beheaded because of Jesus. His disciples had been out and had been work, uh, ministering and healing and doing all this stuff. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you guys are tired. I can see you need a rest and you're hungry. Let's go to a solitary place where no one is so we can rest together. I mean, this has to be the time of the lives for the disciples to say, we get to hang with Jesus. This is awesome. But the gossip grapevine, the Facebook, Jesus is going to the solitary place. Boom, 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 boom. Where it gets out. And the crowds run to the solitary place. Jesus is on the boat with his disciples and they get to the solitary place and friends, the crowds are waiting. Jesus lost his friend, his disciples are tired, they're hungry and they need a rest. The most inconvenient time. Let me tell you, you and I set aside two hours on a Saturday night and say, okay, God, do your thing now. If you want us to reach people, bring them in. We've got those two hours together. Let me tell you, it's not going to happen here. It's going to happen when we have done our religious duty. Like the Samaritan, like the Levite and the priest who've been to the church, went to the temple, did the worship thing. Now we're heading home. Saw the the guy beaten up, and thought, gee, I've done my religious thing. Someone else can take care of them." Jesus got out of the boat, and he saw those people. You know what it says? He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He gets out the boat, and he begins to teach he's tired, he's lost his friend, his disciples, can I suggest his disciples were not happy. and So they get together, just give me a bit of space here. they get together and say, this is not what we planned. We wanted some time with Jesus, we, what can we come up with? Say, ah, these people are hungry. Jesus, come over here. <clears throat> it's getting late. All of these people are hungry. Why don't you send them away to go and eat and we'll see them tomorrow. We're doing this for them. You know what Jesus does? He does the unthinkable. He looks at His disciples and He says, they are hungry. You give them something to eat. I mean, it has to be the most challenging thing Jesus told His disciples. They were miffed. They were hungry. They didn't want this. Jesus says, feed them. I'm blown away by that statement. Jesus didn't say, watch me feed them. Jesus said, you feed them. So the church today is like, God, do the thing and we'll work with you. And God says, you feed them. Oh, we got nothing. What have you got? So Jesus then says, okay, go find out what we have. Now there's 5,000 men. I believe there are more than 5,000 people. So they go amongst all the crowd and they come back. They must think, yay, there's only five loaves and two fish. Yay, they're going to have to go away. So they come back and say, Jesus, this is what we've got. Five loaves and two fish. Yes, they must leave now, Jesus. Jesus says, great, give it to me. He looks up to heaven. Now most preachers preach this wrong, including me in the past. They say he takes it, he looks to heaven and he says, God, multiply this. He did not pray that once. He took five loaves, two fish. He looked to heaven and He said, thank you. So so just to say this to you, it's going to happen in the most inconvenient time. God's saying, you give them something. God's saying, do an audit. Find out what you have. Stop asking for more people, more gifted, more anointed. They will come. God knows that. Find out what you have. What have you got? Look to heaven and thank Him. And you know what I I, I I confess i always felt that when he looked to heaven and he looked and he said multiply this forgive my net na- naivety <laughs> sorry now you woke up see that what what what, what i thought as he said multiply this it multiplied in his hands so the the the, the, the loaves <laughs> and the fish and he's standing there like his disciples oh dude look at that that is awesome wow gee I can give that out do you know that didn't happen it didn't happen Jesus took the loaf, five loaves two fish he looked to heaven and he said thank you and I don't believe it multiplied when he thanked he then gave what they had and as now listen friends as the disciples took what they had they had what they needed when they got to the people who needed it. Now this isn't a pull at your emotional strings. This is God speaking to this church saying, listen, I've put you here. I've called you here. Thank me for what you've got. Do an audit. Look up to heaven. Thank me. And when you get amongst these people and when you begin to give it to those people, you will have what you need. You won't have it before. You will have it during. They fed 5,000 plus there were 12 baskets left over. You know what that says? God's saying, I don't give you enough. I give you more than enough. You see, if you seek God for you, you'll never have enough. If you seek God for them, you'll have more than enough. And the church is always, give me, give me. God says, no. Give them and I'll give you. You have what you need and God knows you need more but use what you've got and God will keep giving you more. You've been put here to reach these people. And friends, not to make a contribution, to bring the King.